What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Mets Legends Cast. My name is Rob Pearsall, and I, of course, am joined today by my co-host Alex Carigliano Michelli. Alex, how you doing, buddy? How's your weekend going? You know what, Rob? My weekend has been quaint. It's been quaint. I, uh, yeah, quaint, quaint. I uh, went out with some friends on on Friday, St. Patrick's Day, but we did not do St. Patrick's Day like activities. We instead got vegan dim sum and then went out for karaoke. It was wonderful. Chinatown, um, unexpectedly, not so crowded on St. Patrick's Day. That's awesome. More room for dim sum. What's your go-to karaoke song? Oh, man. I have I have so many. I think the one I've sang the most, the two that I've sang the most are all the things that I've done by The Killers, which is just so good. Such a good crowd pleaser. And then, and then Proud Mary... Um, I can Tina Turner. I, I I like black out every single time I do that and just become <laughs> some otherworldly performer. It's it, it's the best. Otherwise, I like to do a lot of songs that involve a, yell, a lot of yelling, like a any type of Lincoln Park song, System of a Down, or uh, Foo Fighters. And those are those are all my go tos, really. I think we should collaborate on a System of a Down karaoke song of your choice. Oh, absolutely. We should do karaoke at some point. We should. I love karaoke. I went to a karaoke bar in November with a couple of my friends, and I sang No Scrubs by TLC and Break, Stu- and Break Stuff by Limp Biscuit. <laughs> so the juxtaposition there is kind of crazy. I love that for you. I, lo- I love the, the me- like we, the theme, the unofficial theme on Friday was just a lot of like pop punk, uh, mid 2000s type of bangers. Some Breaking Benjamin came out. A lot oh, of Diary that, of Jane. Yeah, no, that was the exact song. I was like, I forgot this song existed. That and song it was does the slap. Which, it was pouring out of my soul. I, I couldn't <laughs> believe it. I already had no voice left, and I was just ah! like the whole time. <laughs> Dude, that song is so good. Um, like unironically good. That's that's my hot take. It's an unironically good song. Yeah, like I I definitely couldn't believe how into it I was. Yeah, karaoke is great. I. Uh, I definitely got that performative energy, especially doing some Limp Biscuit. It was pretty cool. I've always oh, had as- yeah. I've always had aspirations of being a frontman of a band, so it gave me a little a little taste of that. So, me and you both, homie. What did you do this weekend? I went to a concert on Friday night. I saw Tiger's Jaw. I'm not, I'm not sure if you know them, but they're cool. They're they're like a these days they're more of like a power pop kind of alternative band from. Scranton, Pennsylvania. I saw them in the middle of nowhere in New Jersey, but it was really cool. It was a small venue, and then I met up with uh, met up with a buddy of mine after that, and then I worked yesterday. So nothing too crazy, but it was a good St. Patrick's Day weekend. I didn't do any like you. I didn't do anything like too St. Patrick's esque, but got to see some good music and hang out with some some homies. So it was nice. That's cool. Definitely have to look into. I like. I know so many people just from like my affiliation with that scene from New Paltz. I know I've heard of Tiger's Jaw so many times and, and I've never actually sat down and listened to them. So they're so good. They're so good. Put them on the list. Yeah, you should listen to them. They're awesome. They just they put on such a uh, a good live show as well. So Do you have like an, an album that you recommend to me? I would start off with their self titled album for sure. It has a it has a like a guy pulling a slice of pizza. And the pizza's all cheesy. That's like the album cover. So I recommend oh, that one. I love that. They actually ended up playing that album in its entirety, like kind of as a surprise. And it was really awesome. I went nuts. Oh, oh that's so cool. I'm yeah. a dude who like I like to listen to albums all the way through. So I associate all music with with albums. So that's that's pretty sick. Yeah, it was it was not announced. And then they in the middle of the set were like, We're gonna we're gonna finish with our self titled album. And I went nuts. So it was it was great. Hell yeah. Yeah, man. But let's get into the meat of it. Yeah. Uh, Alex and I have compiled a list of the top 10 Mets that we think are most important for the success of the team this year. And going off of that, the reason or a couple of reasons why we wanted to do so was because the Mets have endured a couple of injuries so far this spring. Since we talked to you guys last, Edwin Diaz is out for the season, likely. 
he has aspirations of coming back. But if that happens, it's not going to be until September. And it seems like a long shot. I think really his long-term health is what's most important. But he tore his patellar tendon after Puerto Rico beat the Dominican Republic Wednesday night in the World Baseball Classic. The team was celebrating. Diaz just suffering the unfortunate injury in the celebration and got surgery the next day and is likely going to be on the shelf for the rest of the year. So that's a massive blow to the Mets, especially after Diaz was so dominant in 2022 and signed an extension with the team this past winter. So that's going to be a big blow to the Mets bullpen. And then Brandon Nimmo suffering an ankle and knee sprain on Friday night, and he's going to be week to week, according to Mets general manager Billy Epler. So it's been uh, we've been kind of put through the ringer a little bit from the outside, Alex. It's been it's been a lot to kind of take in in regards to the Mets, who haven't even begun the regular season yet. They've they're already down a few men. Yeah, I mean, not only all of that, but we we touched on it last week before we knew what the full scope of it would be. But Jose Quintana also out until July. Mm-hmm. Um, last week when we were recording. At the time, they had only reported on the cracked rib or like the, the rib fracture, but they hadn't released a timeline yet. They were kind of taking the time with it because they were looking for more things. And it seems like uh, the, the holdup was the fact that they found a mass in the area. It turned out, to be, turned out to be benign. They tested it, no cancer. But I think that's what they were testing for before they wanted to release any type of timeline, removed safely. But he's out until July. So that's our... Uh, fourth or fifth starter, however you want to look at it, was one of our quote-unquote big, uh, <laughs> I said our and we, um, as a Mets fan <laughs> looking um, out, outward in. Uh, but one, one of the big guys who were expected to contribute this year, and Diaz, who, like, I don't know if you've looked at, you you have, you're, you're a professional. But, like, look, looking at, Everyone go to Mets Fangraphs or whatever and look at the war leaders for the pitching staff last year. Number one, you obviously have Max Scherzer, who we'll talk about a little bit later. But number two was Edwin Diaz, the closer, with three wins above replacement. Now, it's the way that war measures uh, closer productivity is a little iffy because how do you measure how many uh, wins a closer is worth? Like He was worth three. But when you think about what that type of consistency brings in the ninth inning, and whenever we, whenever the Mets brought him in before the ninth inning, the the impact is huge, and it's going to have ripples throughout the rest of of the bullpen and really the Mets season. You you could look at it as the Mets now being worth less, uh, three fewer wins, but the impact could be greater than that if they cannot find suitable replacements at the um in the closer position because just look at what happened in 2019 when Diaz first came over and just couldn't get a handle of himself a lot of blown saves and Met fans have seen what happens when there's no consistency in that closer position a lot of blown saves is is really is the difference between could be the difference between getting into the playoffs as was the case in 08 and you know just in general it, it it's a really scary proposition if not dealt with properly yeah absolutely and i think just like you said even beyond diaz's production on the field he had become such a phenomenon among the fan base coming into narco every single game hyping up the crowd hyping up his teammates i mean you had timmy trumpet at the field who's featured on that song by Blaster Jacks playing the trumpet as he came into the game in a big game against the Dodgers and him just absolutely dominating. I mean, even in the game with Puerto Rico, when he closed out that game, he struck out the side. Like, he was so dominant. And it's just such an unfortunate thing. Obviously, his health comes first, but it's just such a such a massive, massive hit to the Mets' bullpen. I think that they're ultimately going to have to add someone big. So... I'm thinking someone maybe like David Bednar of the Pittsburgh Pirates, maybe even Edwin Diaz's brother, Alexis Diaz from the Cincinnati Reds. I think you're going to see maybe that happen a little later on, though. I'm not saying it's one of those two guys, definitely, but I'm thinking those are a couple guys that could be on the Mets' radar. That'll probably happen as the season goes on. I think the Mets are going to just have to 
piece together the rest of their bullpen for the time being, kind of rely on a couple other guys like Adam Adovino and David Robertson, who we'll probably both talk about later. But they're they're gonna have to they're gonna have to probably reinforce that bullpen at some point, especially kind of going off the injuries that we were talking about. Bryce Montez Dioka, who's dealing with a stress re- stress re- I'm sorry, mm-hmm. a stress reaction in his elbow, so he's gonna be out for a little while. Brooks Raley should be available for opening day, but he had dealt with a hamstring strain. Sam Coonrod, who was looking really good this spring, whose velocity was was looking really, really enticing. He's going to be out for a while. He's going to probably be out for, I don't know, maybe maybe four to six weeks, maybe a little longer. He had a high-grade lat strain, and those can be pretty pretty lingering for pitchers sometimes. So you get, you, you're going to have some guys that maybe wouldn't have made the team automatically, but... The Mets have brought on a lot of guys this winter and had some incumbent incumbent pitchers. So the hope is that they could kind of weather the storm and then maybe after that they could assess what they have and make some moves. But Alex, if you're ready, I'm ready to get into our top 10 lists and talk about who we think the Mets' biggest contributors are for 2022 and uh, who the most important ones are at that. Yeah, let's do it. And we'll lead off with... Obviously, the two, in my opinion, at least, when when we constructed our lists, we wanted to do so where we can include maybe as many vital Mets as possible. You know, it takes a whole roster to get to the postseason. And so we wanted to exclude the two guys who I think are 100% the two most important factors to any Mets season, no matter what. And it just felt kind of redundant to even talk about them in, in, in this list. Uh, but the the two guys that are most important to this Mets season are Pete Alonso and Francisco Lindor. I mean, there's just no getting around it. The Mets scored uh, a total of uh, 772 runs last year, and 238 of them were driven in by Pete Alonso and Francisco Lindor, which accounts for approximately 31% of all runs driven in last year. Yeah, I mean, those are the big guys, too. And Alex, I just wanted to ask, do you want to go back and forth where we we do it in like a descending order? So you'll talk about your 10th most important guy, and then I'll talk about mine, and then we could kind of go back and forth that way until we ultimately get to the guy who we think is most important to the Mets' success in 2023. I think I think that's the best way to do it. Okay. And I think uh, how how we could work around if we have – repeating ourselves if we have different guys. So if I, I if I say someone at number 10, I would you could then say where you had that person on your list and then we could both talk about him. And okay. then Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah, and then we'll just like I'll just at that point we could just like skip and be like, yeah, "Okay, so this is where I had so and so." Um but yeah, where we could even just like uh, when I get to that person on the list, I'll just kind of echo back what we talked about a little bit before. So, but if you want to start and you want to start off with your number ten guy, and then I'll go, and then we could uh, we can kind of go from there. Okay, so my number ten guy was, um, and I'm laughing because it it almost feels silly, but I have my reasons. So my number ten guy is Ryan Mauricio. Okay, so you think that he's gonna you think that he's gonna be a cog in this equation in twenty twenty three? He's going to factor, and he's not going to factor on the Mets. Okay, think, so you think he's gonna be a, a candidate that's gonna bring in someone externally? Exactly. Okay. I think Ronnie Mauricio's he's already been optioned to minor league camp, so that that's been announced. And I already saw on Twitter Mets fans he's he's grown a huge following uh, over the past few months just because. Really, through the Dominican Winter League and then now into the spring training, he was the hottest player alive. I think at this point, uh, with the World Baseball Classic, that um, that Randy Rosarina has taken his place. He's been phenomenal in the World Baseball Classic, which I still support. But Mauricio um, has also been just like equally huge. However, he's still not major league ready. He still cannot, like even in this spring training, sam- um, in this sample size where he's hit four home runs and just has had so many big hits, he still is at his same levels of production in terms of like on-base percentage. He still can't get over 300, which even if he had a 300 or like a 305, 310 
on a base percentage, that still really wouldn't cut it. It just underlines how not ready he still is. He has uh, next to no plate discipline. And so I just don't see him being um, any type of contributing factor on the Mets roster this season. I just don't think he's major league ready. However, I think he's still going to compile and create huge moments in that minor league season. And he's going to be huge in the potential trade for this potential closer replacement in the summer. I think, I think it'll come like towards the trade deadline. Um, I think our, the Mets in-house options should suffice for now, but I think Ryan Mauricio is going to be part of some key package this summer. The Mets were very hesitant to pull the trigger on a huge deal last summer. I think this year there's, a lot more pressure to win, especially after a first-round exit, especially after many fans criticized Billy Epler for not doing more to fortify the bullpen or or get a, a more effective, bigger bat. With um, you know, Whether it's a closer like David Bednar, I think Daniel Bard should be mentioned as well with the Rockies. Or if it's you know, a Shohei Otani, I think Ryan Mauricio will have to factor in that package. And if he could raise his profile high enough, he could, you know, vault his way up some of those prospect lists and hopefully not force the Mets to add, you know, 20 lower level prospects or whatever to fill to fill a package like the Mets had to do last year to get uh, rough of all people. You know, so that's why I have Ryan Mauricio at number 10. Yeah, I think Mauricio is a guy who could be appealing to a team maybe as a power bat. I think the on-base percentage is an issue. He doesn't really have a dedicated position. I, I think that you know the Mets had experimented with him in the outfield, or they plan to. And but I think that really he he's he's probably just going to be a bat forward type of player. But he's still young, and I think that's what people forget. He's just been in the Mets system for so long, and he was a really big signing internationally when they when they got him. And so, and then he was he was like 16 at that point. So I think people have just been hearing about him for a really long time. He's been in Topps products forever, so his baseball cards have just been out there for a long time. But he's only like 22 or 21. Like he's such a young kid still. So there's definitely some room that there could be some improvement there. Um, and I, th- I agree. I think that he'll be part of some kind of trade package. I don't really know if he's going to be a major contributor in New York. I don't really think so. So I think you're you're spot on with that. I actually didn't even have Mauricio on my top 10 list kind of for that reason. Um, so Yeah, which makes sense. I feel like I was cheating in a way. But it just no, it's, it's, that's my reasoning. No, it's I think that's a good that's a good person. Um, you know, it's a little bit of like, yeah, he's not going to maybe help out the Mets, but he's going to help them out by getting them a player that can fill in or help fill in the shoes that Edwin Diaz has left behind. So, All right, let's give us your number 10. All right, so I had Tommy Pham as my number 10. And I know that's a hot take because he's been really bad this spring. But the Mets need someone like Pham to kind of step up and be that fourth outfielder, especially now that Nemo is hurt. And uh, I don't know what really is left in the tank for Tommy Pham. Spring training, obviously, is one of those things where some guys perform, some guys don't. Hopefully there's a little bit left in the tank for Tommy Pham, but the Mets outfield depth, especially in the upper minors, is very, very meager. So someone like Tommy Pham stepping up would be really, really big for the Mets, especially with not knowing how long exactly Brandon Nemo is going to be out. So that's why I included Tommy Pham here. I do want to say that I I am still on the jerks and pro far wave. I think the Mets need to sign him, especially now that Nimmo is hurt, and especially since the Mets are going to be saving some money that Edwin Diaz is going to be out. So I think there's a little bit more room there where they could bring someone in like Profar to kind of supplement their utility a little bit, but also have someone that could play left field, maybe have Starling Marte play center field, and then you could kind of figure out what you want to do in right field. But there's can be sh- it gives them an opportunity to shuffle around the deck a little bit more. But yes, Tommy Pham, I think, is someone that if he steps up, it's a benefit for the Mets, especially in the short term. That Edwin Diaz insurance money is a very good point that you just brought up that I didn't think of in mm-hmm. terms of getting a Jerickson Profar. The The funny thing about Edwin Diaz last year is despite all of his success 
he only had around what, like 30 something saves, like lower thirties because Mm -hmm. there just wasn't that many save opportunities because when the Mets were winning, it was usually winning by a a bigger number. And so if the Mets could just boost up the offensive profile that much more, whether it's the contributions of Tommy Pham or recycling that Diaz money towards the jerks and Profar, that helps as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So who did you have at number nine? And also, did you have Pham on your list at all? I did not have him on my list. Okay, that, ma- that makes sense. I figured it was a little bit of a hot take. No, but I love it because it, it adds more diversity to uh, our, uh, our topics. Sure. But yeah, so, go, go ahead. Yeah. So my number nine is Jeff McNeil. All right. Makes did sense. Did you have Jeff McNeil on your list? No, I didn't include him because I just kind of figured that it was a bit of a given that he was just going to be like, I kind of had the same mindset of like, being in the same group as Lindor and Alonzo, but I agree with you. I, I think obviously McNeil is such an important piece of the equation, but uh, I'd love to hear why you had him at number nine. Yeah, no, I definitely thought about including him in that in that um, in that Lindor and Alonzo range in terms of his importance. I mean, he was just extended after all before he hit free agency. That so that just shows how much the Mets value him. But I, no matter what, and no matter, despite the fact that he was the batting champion this season or the, uh, the last season, I still don't see his offensive profile as being on the heights as Lindor and Alonzo and still consider him more of a glue guy. Um, I mean, it's just, it's just the World Baseball Classic, which, I don't know, I, I just said on one, on one end how, how much I love it. But it's still early and it's March and Jeff McNeil hasn't had his, in fact, him and Pete Alonso have had awful world baseball classics so far. And I'm seeing a lot of the MLB community at large kind of turning against him. Those who are not Met fans. And I think someone like Jeff McNeil has rubbed a lot of people the wrong way, but I think it's because of the fact that he is such a annoying thorn in a lot of teams sides uh, with just how he, he incessantly gets on base from, you know, from the slap hits and, that just like really drives a lot of fans crazy, and but I just think like, his glue guyness. I think he's there's something very Mets to him that I don't think works on every team, which is probably why he felt so comfortable not even thinking about free agency and just extending um, on a deal that a lot of Mets fans found to be team friendly. I think he is one of the more important guys on the team because of his positional flexibility. We'll see how good his defense holds up with the new shift rules i think we might see a little bit at least in terms of his infield defense we might see it take a little bit of i don't want to say a dive but he won't put up the defensive numbers that he had last year i think because he won't be um, because of the shift rules won't be in the type of position that he was able to go into so often last year however they could still position themselves wherever they want on on his side of the diamond. And I'm sure there's still a lot of, um, you know, uh, projections and whatever type of tools that they're using in their, in their stats to put them into the best position possible. But no matter what, he still has a lower, he, he still hits for less power, even though I think he'll hit for more power this year with the shift rolls. He could kind of let it unleash a little bit more, but, but we'll see. But, I have my number nine. Yeah. Okay. And, and that makes sense too. I mean, McNeil is, he's such a big part of the Mets and he's such a big part of their success. So that's a, it's a good pick at number nine for you. Yeah. Your number nine. I had Omar Narvaez as my number nine. And the reason I had Omar Narvaez as number nine is because he was brought in as a veteran catcher this past winter for the Mets. The Mets cut loose James McCann. They traded him to the Baltimore Orioles, essentially just as a salary dump. Not even a salary dump. The Mets covered his his most of his paycheck, so they really just wanted to get rid of him. But Francisco Alvarez, I don't think is quite ready. He had surgery this past winter too, so and he's also so young. So there's really no reason to be rushing Francisco Alvarez. Tomas Nito has been such a serviceable backup. But Omar Narvaez is going to have an opportunity to give the Mets a little bit of production out of the catcher spot, which they lacked a lot with James McCann over the last couple of years. So I think that if you can kind of solidify the lower half of the lineup and give them a little bit more pop 
or give it a little bit more pop, then that's going to be a big benefit. And if he could be a better defensive catcher than catcher than McCann too, then you've just made a, a big 180 in that position. So Narvaez, I think, is uh, is an underrated guy, but a guy that could definitely help benefit, especially that that lower portion of the of the offense for the Mets. Yeah, I think that was a good move on you to include him. And in. he he was actually a huge oversight for me. I probably yeah, he definitely deserves to be on a list. Especially yeah, because sure. I noticed, and you know, not to, I didn't include Francisco Alvarez on my list. He's actually, I have him as one of my honorable mentions. And just because I don't see him being a huge part of the equation this year because of the fact that we have Omar Nevaez. So Omar Nevaez really has to, him and Nito, uh, especially because now that you have Omar Nevaez, because um, he, he, Omar Nevaez is the lefty and Nito is a righty, correct? Um, let me check. Or is it opposite? Yeah, I forget. It's one or the other, but the fact is we'll have a, uh, the Mets will have a true platoon this year at catcher. So if both of them could play off to play up to, you know, what they can be expected to do, um, and continue to be great defensive catchers, that's going to really solidify the, uh, the catching unit. Yeah, I thought it's it was a good inclusion. I thought it was a good move for the Mets to bring him in, but yeah, you're right. It's uh they're a lefty righty split. So um, but yeah, I mean, James McCann was just so putrid that if they get anything out of the catcher position, I think it's really just an added benefit. So Narvaez has the opportunity to do so. But yeah, I, I didn't, you talked about Alvarez. I didn't even have Francisco Alvarez on my list in any capacity because I don't really think that the Mets need him to be a contributor this year. And if they get anything out of him this year, it's just, it's just gravy. Yeah. Like maybe they see him in the summer. Um, if one of the top two catchers gets hurt, which Nito does have a bit of an injury history, just a bit. Uh, then Francisco Alvarez is the first man up. Yeah, of so course. he will see time this year, but he won't be a cog. Yeah. So uh, who'd you have at number eight? So number eight, and this falls into that same role as Jeff McNeil before, where he's definitely part of that core for Mets position players. But I think it's important to have Brandon Nimmo on this list because he is probably the second biggest wild card on this team this year. Um, Brandon Nimmo played in his most career games ever last year in his in what would have been his walk year with, what was it, 151 games? Yep, he was out there a lot. Yeah, and that was only the second time he had more than, I think, 130 games played. Yeah. So uh, in his entire major league career. Mm-hmm. And a lot... <laughs> I, you know, the Mets fans that were complaining, and we're not even going to really touch this so hard, but because I think it's been covered enough in, in the greater MLB media, but there were a lot of Mets fans complaining about Diaz having any type of involvement in the World Baseball Classic. And a lot of them cited Brandon Nimmo's reasons where he said pretty much that the Mets just put in a huge investment in him and he doesn't want to, he wants to honor that investment by not participating in the World Baseball Classic. He um, devised a, a plan, an offseason plan with the staff to that pretty much enabled him to start the spring training a little bit later because he felt that the compressed spring training that he had last year actually contributed to his longer-term success with the club last year. How uh, So people cited that and said, look at Nimmo, he's doing the right thing. And then what, a week of games for him? And he's already out he's already week to week with you know it's they say it's a lower grade sprain on his ankle and knee and that is only week to week but that was an ugly slide i mean it was a really strange looking slide it does it's not so much of a freak accident to me i think it just it was just you know his cleat got stuck but it was an ugly slide and we've seen this too often with nimmo getting hurt It, it feels like it's always while he's running the bases whether it's you know stealing or trying to you know break up a double play so like I don't think he's going to he's the biggest wild card because if he could pl- match his game total last year which already seems like it's in doubt but even just getting 140 games in is still huge for the Mets you know he's the leadoff hitter he's the table setter um I still think that we could see better results from him like that he we haven't seen the best Brandon Nimmo season however the you know the wild the the wild card of it is that maybe last season's a fluke and he's and he gets hurt a lot. He's already hurt, so maybe he misses even more games. But just that wild card factor makes his importance you know, that much more to the Mets because the Mets hit um, 
had 101 wins last season, and he played in 150 games, and that's not a coincidence. So he mm-hmm. needs to keep that up in order to continue that success for the Mets. Otherwise, you know, it could spell trouble. Yeah, absolutely. Especially with the Mets missing out on someone like Carlos Correa, losing a big offensive piece like Nimmo is 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 huge. So hopefully he comes back sooner rather than later. But that's a good pick. I didn't have him on my list kind of for the same reasons as I, I tried to go with guys that were a little bit more not obscure, but like a little bit more off the beaten path. Um, not not for my whole list, but I didn't have Nemo. But I think obviously, like like I said, with McNeil on your list, it's it's a good it's a good and, and reasonable and like correct pick. So, yeah. And yours. So I'm going to, I'm going to actually tie in, I'm going to do eight and seven because they kind of relate to each other. So I'm just going to mm-hmm. do them at the same time. Uh, and that's Tyler McGill and David Peterson. And I think that like I'd mentioned last week on the podcast, we'll start off with Tyler McGill. McGill is a guy who, came up in 2021 as a rookie when the Mets were really decimated in the pitching department. And he gave them some quality innings kind of out of nowhere where no one was really expecting him to do so before that season had started. I had talked about how I thought McGill would be a contributor um, when I was writing for Mets Marais at the time, but I really thought that he profiled more potentially as a reliever and he came up and he started and he was really good. And then in 2022, he was the opening day starter for the Mets and was looking really good. His velocity was up. He was pitching really well in the beginning of the season. And then he got hurt and he missed a majority of the year coming back in September and pitching out of the bullpen where he didn't really perform very well. And he's looked good so far this spring. And I think that especially with the injuries to Quintana and the departure of someone like Jacob deGrom, not that he's going to fill Jacob deGrom's shoes, but just that there's been a shakeup in the rotation this winter. It's going to be a new look rotation. Having someone like McGill be a contributor is going to be really important for the Mets. And and then beyond that with David Peterson, kind of the same reasons where He's a guy who was was good for the Mets last year and the capacities that they asked him to be when he came out of the bullpen, when he started, when he was in AAA. He was kind of doing everything for the Mets when they needed to him. He was flexible. So David Peterson, Tyler McGill, both going to be guys that the Mets are going to need to lean on this year, especially that they're down Quintana. They're going to probably either go with Peterson or McGill to start the season. But as the season progresses... The Mets have also talked about potentially going to a six-man rotation, and if that's the case, then both those guys could get reps every week. So I think both of those guys are going to be important parts, and it'll be a really big year to see what they really have out of both of them, especially McGill. I think Peterson, you know, he's going to be a guy who is going to be a serviceable back-end, kind of fifth-starter fifth type guy. But Miguel, I'm curious as to see if, they're going to be more, if there's going to be more out of him or if he's going to be a guy that is going to be injured or he's not going to not going to stick. So I, I want to see what those guys have this year and what they bring to the table. Yeah. And you know what? I think you're right to include both of them at the same time because of the role that they're both filling. I actually had David Peterson much higher at number three on my list. Okay. Uh, while somehow excluding Tyler McGill, uh, I like really only thought of him like almost like right before we started. I'm like, wait a minute, Tyler McGill. But I, I didn't know who to take off, and I really wanted to mention my number 10. So I decided to leave him off my list, but I figured you would have him. So I'm, I'm glad you had him there, and you gave a really astute um, you know, summary of, of, of those reasons as well. Uh, you know, it's funny, like you, you mentioned that you know, he can't replace Jacob DeGrom. Like you can't expect that, but it, you know, he was the guy who was called upon to start opening day in his absence, you know, and he's been just that reliable for the Mets. We've already covered how he's talked about working on his, what was it, his curveball uh, under the kind of like the tutelage of Max Scherzer a little bit and citing him as a role model. I'm really excited to see, and which we'll talk about later. But uh, the reason why I have David uh, Peterson all the way at number three is I just think. I feel like he's going to get better. I think there's a lot of um, there's a huge range of outcomes of what we could get with Tyler McGill. He could wind up being a number one, number two type from this kind of peaks we've seen from him. He does get injured a lot, and it's been really hard for him to get deeper into games. But you know, he probably has the highest ceiling. But I think David, 
Peterson has a much higher floor. I think no matter what with David Peterson, if not for the acquisition of, you know, all three of Sango, Quintana, or and Verlander, who we'll talk about later, uh, he would absolutely have already had his name like cemented into the rotation, and I think would have been serviceable already for a lot of other major league clubs, and would have been um, along with Tyler McGill a huge reason. Like you could see the Wilpon Mets. You know, four seasons ago, even just two seasons ago, really, uh, you could see this two being a huge reason uh, why, like a Sandy Alderson would come out and say, "Well, we feel really comfortable with David uh, David Peterson and Taylor McGill, and think that you know they'd be major league starters on any club, and that you know we don't have to go after other guys, and we could use those resources elsewhere or whatever." You know, you could see that happening. Um, Despite the higher floor um, and then his ceiling not being as high as McGill's, I just think that Peterson's going to continue to get better. He also had trouble getting deep into games a lot of the times. So he had some walk issues, uh, but he did have some high strikeout games. He had a 1.9 um, F4 last year in his 19 starts. But yeah, we're going to see him a lot. He's, I think he's going to be the, the guy who's going to be our fifth starter, uh, the Mets' fifth starter, with Quintana being out. And like you said before, when they go into the six-man rotation, he's going to be the first one called upon, I think, ahead of Tyler McGill. And and with that high need of him, especially with Quintana being out until July, and you could probably bet other instances too where some type of Met starter is going to have to have some time off, um, he's going to be very important. And I think he's going to have higher quality starts than Carlos Carrasco this year. Like he will almost um, leapfrog him in the importance in the rotation. And so that's why I have Peterson so high up. Nice. Uh, Yeah. you make some really good points on that. And uh, you know, I think we're kind of on the same page with those guys. So who'd you have at number seven? Yeah. Number seven, uh, keeping with the Davids, I have uh, new met David Robertson. Yep. Mm -hmm. He's going to be an important one. Oh yeah, so so he so now he's very important. Uh, he was originally envisioned as the kind of bridge seven guy, uh, occasional eight guy, rare but when needed, uh, you know, closer guy. But now he's probably going into the season as the de facto closer. Uh, last year was kind of a comeback season for David Robertson. He had uh, he was dealing with injuries but really kind of came back onto the scene last year, uh, closing games, uh, and now it escapes me. Who, who was he? Who did the Phillies trade for him from? He was with the Cardinals or? He was with the Cubs. And Cubs, that's it, yeah. Who did they trade for him? I don't even know if they traded anybody super notable. Um, I could probably look it up. It was kind of like a, a buzzer beater type move. I know the Mets were in on him. That he, They were linked to him during the season. At one point, I thought the Mets were really going to get him and Wilson Contreras, and it just didn't happen. And uh, But let me look it up. I know that they made a bunch of trades at the deadline. Obviously, they had Syndergaard last year. They traded him to the Angels, and they traded – they acquired Brandon Marsh in a separate deal with the Angels. But I'm pulling up David Robertson. Yeah, the, right Phillies, the Phillies made a lot of very astute uh, moves last year, which of course contributed to their World Series run. David it was Robertson just some being, minor league player, Ben Brown. I never heard. Yeah, of him. Yeah, that's a nobody name. <laughs> watch him be like, re- watch him be like, no, like really good too. He's gonna be a huge Mets killer for the Cubs. Ben Brown. Um, ben effing Brown. He's from Long but, Island. Uh, he, ben Brown is from Long Island. You know what? Now he's a, now I'm a fan of his. I can't wait to see him. <laughs> he's from East Setauket, home of former Met Stephen Matz. Look at that. Look at that. Um, <laughs> so proud. Um, anyway, so <clears throat> yeah, so David Robertson closed the game for the Phillies last year. He, I think he had 20 saves before the Phillies traded for him already. So you know they thought they were getting a high end closer. They still had some um, flux in their back end but then i think sir anthony dominguez wound up kind of taking over that oh um, yeah sir anthony dominguez sir anthony yes um the i'm just gonna mention Corey canable too because he was in that equation as well but i felt I, I feel i never feared him i feel like every time canable came up to close for the phillies against the mets the mets just beat him and he blew that save and, and he's still a free agent right now and people have mentioned him as a 
possibility for the Mets to sign, but I don't want him just because I think we clowned on him so much last year. But when I talk about him, when I talk, talking about the great Sir Anthony Dominguez, uh, and when I say the great, I mean one of the great all-time baseball names. But yeah, so David Robertson, I don't think he's closing games for us in the second half of the season. And uh, us Mets fans watching, uh, but um, damn, I'm really bad with that. But yeah, <laughs> trying to trying to curb it. Trying to curb it. But yeah, David Robertson, he's going to close. Um, he's going to be the one who's called upon first to close. Adovino's going to be mixed in with that as well. But I think they prefer to keep him in the eighth man role, in the setup role where he thrived so much last year. But it's going to be Robertson. And then I think that the Mets are going to look to trade for someone at the deadline so that they can move Robertson back down in the order because he kind of... I don't want to say he completely fell off a cliff, but he was not nearly as effective for the Phillies after they traded for him after the deadline. And I don't think that was because of some like comfort level thing. I think he's a professional. He's closed games for notably the Yankees like when he first came up. I mean, he was very effective in that role replacing Mariano Rivera. I just think that with his advanced age, you can't look to depend on him for that full season, but he's going to be essential for the Mets in that first half of the season. Yeah, totally, for sure. Um, he's going to be an important one, and especially now, even more so that Edwin Diaz is hurt. So, and did you have him on your list? Yeah. So, I mean, I'll just go into my because he was next on mine anyway. Mm-hmm. So, I'll just go into my number six. But I'm also going to do like what I did just with Peterson and McGill. I'm going to do six and five together, and that's David Robertson and Adam Ottavino, and. Uh, the reason I have these guys on the list is because of Edwin Diaz's injury, and I think that you're going to see P- Robert. I'm sorry, Robertson and Ottavino both closing games for the Mets in the first half. The Mets will probably go with a closer by committee. I think that Ottavino might get a, a majority of the closing reps because he's this is his second year with the Mets, and he had such a good year last year. But I think it'll be a situational type thing where you'll have one or two of those guys closing. It'll kind of be. Uh, like a committee situation, like I said. But the Mets really need both of those guys to step up, especially to lock down the the eighth, ninth innings with Diaz hurt. And, um, you know, they, they're moving up in the depth chart order for the Mets. But I think that they're both veteran guys who have closed in their careers. And if Adovino could give the Mets anything close to what they gave, what he gave them last year, they'll be in good shape. And if Robertson could be like what he pitched for the Cubs last year, then it kind of softens the blow. I mean, it's not going to soften the blow of losing Diaz for the Mets, but it'll kind of help the Mets weather the storm, like I kind of mentioned earlier. So, yeah, just having those guys at six and five respectively for for the Mets' importance in 2022, 2023. Yeah, no, that's a uh, re- really, you know, very valid point. Um, I actually didn't have Adovino on my list. Uh, he's just as important as, as you said. I just didn't include him because I don't see him matching his results last year. He actually pitched in more innings than Diaz last year, but that's mostly a factor of the fact that Diaz didn't... Har- <laughs> We want uh, the Mets. Want th- we we as people watching TV, <laughs> the Mets on TV would go through like a whole week without seeing Diaz pitch towards the end of the season, just because of the how few save opportunities there were at the time. Whether it was uh, the Mets being on weird skids or just beating opponents by a lot, but Adovino pitched to a, a 2.06 ERA last year, but he had a 2.79 FIP uh, field independent pitching. And so I can imagine there being, even if it's just slight, just enough of a decline to make him not as effective as he was last year. He will be 37 this year. And so I just see some type of slip, but I think he's still going to be huge. He's still going to hold down that eighth inning role. But I, yeah, I did not have him on my list. Nice. Yeah. So since I did six and five, why don't you just rattle off your number six and five guys? Yeah, so um, Kodai Senga is my number six. Kodai Senga is the biggest wild card that the Mets have this season, uh, even bigger than you know the type of swing results that you could get out of um, Brandon Nimmo. And I don't even know what I mean by swing results, but just how like you could have either 150 games, five war type of guy in Brandon Nimmo, or 
you know, 80 games. You don't know what you're going to get sometimes. Kodai Senga, who knows? He he's he came over. He's highly regarded. I wanted Senga the whole time. I'm so excited for him. I want a Kodai Senga jersey. This is like fans of coming out. I think he's so charming. I love him in interviews. My wife loves watching Kodai Senga interviews. Uh, just like just little sound clips that we get out of him. They're just so fun and exciting. He's a he seems like a really nice guy. He would be pitching in the classic if not for the fact that um, he has to figure out this huge adjustment coming over from Japan. Uh, Kodai Senga, he's uh, his volatil- potential volatility is one of the main reasons why the Mets will certainly go to a six man rotation so much of the time because of. Uh, you know, in the league coming over from Japan, he really was only expected to pitch once a week. Uh, but and so sometimes these guys aren't as effective um, as they could be in their first season. But I think his ceiling is just so high. We've talked about it before. He's a potential future uh, ace, number one starter for the Mets if he could pitch up to what we what we think he could do. Um, otherwise. He's a perfect like number three guy. I think he's his ass is covered by the depth of our of the Mets rotation right now. That goes forkball ball. Let's see what it what becomes of it. Looking forward to that bobblehead night, uh, or was it just no? It was just a ghost ball type of thing, like a baseball. But regardless, uh, he's very exciting. If he's if he's the guy, if he's what. Mets fans and what Billy Epler and the Mets think that he can be. He is that number three starter in a postseason series where a lot of players still won't have a lot of experience with him. And he could be like a great unknown in terms of, you know, maybe even taking over the league. I mean, who knows? But so if playing up to his ceiling, he's that number six important guy. Cause then otherwise, if he's not that great, then suddenly the rotation looks a lot more shallow than we think it could be. And uh, you, you'll have a lot of Met fans lamenting the fact that the Mets didn't retain Chris Bassett, who was, who I think just doesn't have a super high ceiling, but he was remarkably consistent and filled a lot of innings. So that's Kodai Senga, number six. Uh, unless you have anything you want to add to uh, about Kodai Senga, I'll go over to number five. Yeah, I think you're you know you're absolutely right. He's a little bit of a wild card, but I think the potential's there, and he'll really he'll really help the Mets swing the pendulum in the correct direction if he is as advertised and if he pitches like he did in Japan. So, yeah, and so now I move over to uh, my number five, Starling Marte. Starling Martes. Uh, Starling Marte missed a significant time at the end of last season. Because of his, um, what was it, his thumb? Uh, his injury that when he injured his hand when he got hit by a pitch. Yeah. And, you know, it really kind of devastated the Mets. Their offense, they kind of held up for a little bit. And then as, as it wore on, the offense totally fell off a cliff. And that's when you had the Mets kind of scrambling for solutions and, you know, going into that last Brave series, bringing up Alvarez, having Vientos there, and not giving them really a lot of time to adjust for the majors and putting a lot of unnecessary pressure on them when maybe they should have been called up earlier, but that's beside the point. Starling Marte, it just showed how important he was. He provided so much for the Mets. He had the fourth most home runs, I think it was, for the Mets last season after... Alonzo, Lindor, and Escobar, actually. Uh, he was tied with Nimmo with 16 home runs, and that's with all the missed time. He just brought... I mean, the guy just... You just look at him. He's so strong. He brought so much extra power. He still can be... Uh, he still stole a good amount of bases last year, just not as many as we thought he would. However, you know, now we have the pizza box bases out in the field this year, so we'll see if that leads to a lot more stolen, ba- stolen bases on his part. You don't want to have to depend on him as much as the Mets did last year. Hopefully, other parts of the batting order will kind of fill those gaps. But no matter what, we still see him as a bit of a table setter up at the top of top four of that rotation. The Mets, uh, there's the with the World Baseball Classic, MLB teams actually don't have that much power to prevent their players from participating. Otherwise, you'd probably see a lot more players 
not go. However, there are there are oh, there are certain clauses that allow uh, a team to block a player's participation. And the Mets were able to flex that this year with Starling Marte, who really wanted to play with um, Dominican Republic, and he actually attended a lot of those games anyway. But uh, he was apparently he was hampered by uh, some groin issues all year last year, and that could have been a huge part of why he didn't steal as many bases as you know the Mets certainly thought he was going to do. In fact, he got caught stealing a lot of the times too, and it really really sucked when that happened. It, it always kind of sucks the wind out of the stadium when someone gets caught stealing. It's like, damn, that was wasted. But, you know, if he plays up to his, like maybe if there's a little bit less production, but he's able to steal more bases, or if he just keeps that level, then he's still huge for the Mets. He's still a number three guy for a lot of teams, I think, and will be essential for that right field defense where he brought so much. I just think he's, He's so, so important and couldn't be left off of any list. Yeah, I agree. I mean, he was actually next on my list, so I agree with you. He, His injury was such a, a big blow to the Mets last, win, last winter, last season, and you just saw how desperately they missed him. And, yeah, he came back for the wild card series, but he wasn't – he came back really, I feel, but prematurely to help the Mets, but he, he wasn't 100%. And he underwent core surgery this past winter, too. So might be a little bit of an adjustment period for him to start the season off. But if Marte can stay healthy for the Mets, he's a big piece. So he was next on my list. So why don't you just go on and uh, continue your list for the for number okay, four? Okay, yeah. And just to wrap up that Marte discussion, I mean, he could I, – I was kind of tempering, tempering expectations a little bit with, the, oh, you know, we'll see. But he could be even better next year. I mean, this coming season, those – he dealt with those issues – you know, kind of all season, and he's the type of guy who feels like he d- tries to stay in the lineup as much as he can. And so, if those issues were addressed with him, he might be even better. And I'm just really excited for that. And then my number four, number four, I actually have Drew Smith. Mm-hmm. So I did not include Ottavino on my list because of the fact um, that I discussed earlier that I thought. He um, can't be expected to be as lights out as he was, but he's still, you know, very important. But I have Drew Smith here because he he kind of fell off of a cliff a little bit after May, and then he missed some time and he was hurt. But at the beginning of the season, Drew Smith was really good, and Buck Walter was turning him turning to him a lot to be that setup guy um, in the to fill a lot of those eighth innings. For the Mets last year. And I think he's still young. He's only just turned 28. Doesn't have so much experience, but you know, there's just so much professionalism in oh, sorry about that. Uh, there's just so much professionalism right now in the Mets organization, whether it be uh, the veteran starters, the veteran bullpen people, or uh, Jeremy Hefner. But I think Drew Smith is still going to continue to get better. And with Diaz being hurt, it just makes everyone else that much more important. Brooks Raley is already hurt. Um, even though he could probably pitch to both sides, he's mostly going to be pitching against left-handed batters. Robertson, he's pretty essential because he is someone who's matchup-proof a little bit. He could pitch to both um, both sides. But Drew Smith is going to be have to be that type of guy as well. He's just going to have to be. There'll probably be some multi-inning, like two-inning appearances from him. Maybe he turns into an eighth inning guy. Maybe he progresses. Who knows? But I just think every person in that bullpen becomes that much more important this season. And I think Drew Smith is going to have to be relied upon because those other guys are much older. And, you know, maybe Robertson, he had been getting hurt. And last season was kind of a comeback for him. So he's kind of playing off of that success. But we also can't expect him to be as good as he was, it's still it's kind of like a fingers crossed situation. So I think Drew Smith, um, after spending so much time in the Mets organization now, is is going to be needed, and that's why I have him as my number four. Cool. Yeah, I agree with you. Drew Smith is a guy who I think the Mets and their fans for a long time have hoped could be a a big piece of the bullpen. He hasn't really proven that he can be yet, but I think that he, especially with Diaz's injury, 
now he becomes a big factor. So if he can give the Mets meaningful innings, then yes, he's a he's a big part of the equation. And he's one of the few in, incumbent guys returning to the bullpen this year. So I'd like to see Drew Smith step up this year for sure. Uh, I think that brings us to a perfect transition to your next guy. So I'm going to do three and two together because they they are both kind of big parts of uh, the equation. But Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander, three and two. Uh, Max Scherzer did not have a good fi- good finish to his 2022 season. He got lit up in the playoffs. Um, that feels like a long time ago now. Scherzer had a great season last year, but with Jacob deGrom gone, the Mets really need Scherzer to anchor that rotation. And this will be a second season in Queens, and I think that he really, really needs to go out there and give the Mets some stability as the number one starter, which I think he will. I think that he's going to be great, and I think that he has unfinished business. So I think Scherzer's going to be... He's going to be a great ace to this rotation, but behind him, you're going to have your co-ace, Justin Verlander, who has looked really good this spring so far, and losing Jacob deGrom as well and bringing in Justin Verlander, I think that you need to have both of those guys kind of perform. So I think those are going to be two really important guys because if either of those guys get hurt or both of those guys get hurt or don't perform, then the Mets are really going to suffer. So they're really big pieces, so I have those two, those guys at three and two. Yeah, and I and I cheated. <laughs> I cheated and put both of them in the same position for number one because I almost see them as the same pitcher, even though obviously they're different. But they just kind of have like equal importance in that number one, number two role. It's already been announced that uh, uh, Scherzer is going to be the opening day starter, and Verlander is going to pitch for the home opener, and so that's really exciting for the Mets. Um, yeah, Scherzer led the pitching staff last year um, in F4 with a 4.4, despite only making 23 starts and his kind of late season ineffectiveness. Had he pitched 17 more innings, he would have qualified. Uh, to, if he had pitched 17 more innings to qualify for the ERA, ERA title, my gosh, uh, it would have actually been his lowest career qualifying ERA total with that 2.29. Verlander. Uh, 1.75 ERA in 175 innings. Uh, still his lowest total innings, like w- uh, without being like one of those injury shortened non ERA uh, qualifying like whatever his seasons. But I mean, there even Fangraphs like with their age and factoring in all that still expects them to be highly effective starters. They will be in the Cy Young conversation if they could each make 25 starts and. Uh, Scherzer is still actually projected to make 30 starts and uh, Verlander is projected or like 29 I think it was and Verlander around 25 again so I mean it, it just it's just it's impossible to say how valuable they are to this pitching staff not just as as kind of being the rocks of that staff but also I mean how often did we see last year after a start from any met whether it was Bassett or Taiwan Walker uh, David Peterson, you just saw all of those pitchers congregating at the lead of Scherzer in the dugout. And I think we're going to see that again, this time with Verlander as well. I think the two of them are going to be competing against each other, almost like in a competitive way to uh, see who could have the better season. Uh, they weren't. They, they talked about how they weren't exactly friends in Detroit because they were just so competitive and, and wanted to be that top dog. But now they look at each other as kind of like old compatriots. I don't even know if I'm using that word right, but do not correct me. Yo, you're making shit up. You're making shit up. I'm not. I'm not. Uh, um, but, <laughs> but um, yeah. uh, Verlander, you know, he's after 300 wins. Like, that is his huge goal right now. He's already a first ballot Hall of Famer. He has nothing, his legacy is cemented, but he is after 300 wins. He signed a two year contract with the Mets. Obviously, that's not going to happen within those two years. But he chose the Mets because he knew that the Mets is his best chance to win while getting that payday, but still his best chance to win. And so, you know, if he wins with the Mets, get that World Series title, or just continues to rack up regular season wins in his win total, I see the Mets either him agreeing to an extension like midway through next year or just signing another two years with lower AAV or just, you know, one season with an option year after that and just continue to do that until he gets 
until his arm falls off and he's done and has well past 200 wins. I think we're actually going to see him in a Mets uniform longer than just uh, that contract that we have him under, that the Mets have him under. But yeah, to, it cannot be played up how how essential those two guys are this year. Absolutely. And, you know, I know that was sorry. I sorry. I spoiled your number one important players on this list, but I know that you have David Peterson as your number three. We talked about that already. We already talked about no spoiler. That's how this works, baby. That's how it works, baby. So yeah, you had Peterson at number three, uh, Scherzer and Verlander were my number two and three. And since they were your number one, the only player that we both had left on our lists is Brett Beatty. He was my number one. I know he was your number two. I think that with the Mets not signing Carlos Correa, Brett Beatty's importance to the team becomes so much greater. And I think that he really gets an opportunity to kind of run away with the third base job and really show the Mets why he was a top prospect and kind of bring to the table the the hot offensive season that he had last year and kind of maybe carry that into this season. So the Mets got a glimpse of him last year. He came up, he homered in his first game, but he was hurt for a lot of the time that he was up in the big league. So at the end of last year, so Beatty's a guy that I think is going to be a really big thing. And I think that if he can give the Mets another power bat in that lineup, and if he could be another offensive contributor, Again, kind of like Narvaez replacing James McCann. If he could give the Mets really quality at bats at a third base, then which, quite frankly, Eduardo Escobar didn't do a lot last year until the last month of the season, then that bottom half of the order is just looking so much better. So Brett Beatty is number one on my list. Do you want to add anything to that before we wrap up? Yeah, I mean... It's like kind of remarkable to look at Eduardo Escobar's year last year, the fact that he was the third leading home run hitter with 20 home runs. And that's really just off of the power of his incredible September. But I don't think we could expect to see that again. I think uh, Eduardo Escobar is too much of a of a variable. He He's he's a very streaky hitter. He, you know, he has good home run power, but his defense was not great at third base. With the shift new shift rules... Coming in, I think he'll be a little bit more exposed this year. Uh, most MLB pundits, when they find something to ding Beatty for, it's for his defense. But he's been working very hard at it. And they all say that, yeah, his defense isn't great, but it's not enough to disqualify him from an infield role as like w- what um, Vientos is. Uh, Beatty is going to be huge. Uh He's going to hit more than 20 home runs. That that's just I don't think that's a hot take. I think uh, especially since I, I totally he hasn't been optioned yet, which tells me that he's going to be on that major league roster at the beginning of the season. And if he's going to be on that major league roster, it's a waste to have him on the bench when he's such a high level prospect. So he's going to be starting third. Uh, I think you correctly predicted that he's going to be on that roster. They're going to give him as long as a of a leash as possible. There's and there's no other option. There's no Machado to turn to next year. There's uh, Rafael Devers was extended. Correa is off the table. Uh, I do not think that the the best option if uh, third base free agent is um, Chapman with uh, Toronto, and he's very great defensively. He is, but he's just very plain average offensively. There's some home run pop, but he's not exciting. He's not someone that you could sell to a Mets fan base that is looking to get better. I think that Brett Beatty is going to hit at least 25 home runs. He's going to be, uh, you're going to see, you're going to get a lot of David Wright comparisons. It's going to be hard for him to shake that off. Then that might be a huge shadow for him, but I think, I think it helps that David Wright has been out of the major leagues for a few seasons now where, um, those comparisons, while he's going to get a lot of them, I don't think they're going to be as... It's not like he has to play with David Wright still in the dugout or anything, and he's not passing over the crown you know, from, from retirement onto the next season. I think there's enough of a cushion there. And he's going to be in the rookie of the year race. It's going to be him. Uh, I'm expecting it to be... you know, Kodai Senga could factor into it. Like If, if Kodai Senga plays like ace level type of expectations or even as like a number two guy like has any type of season like but I don't think we will I think there's going to be an adjustment but he's still going to be very good but it, you know 
if he's great, he's going to be in that uh, rookie of the year conversation. But I think it's going to be Jordan Walker with the Cardinals, Corbin Carroll with the Diamondbacks, and it's going to be Brett Beatty. And he's going to be on the scene, and he's going to hit home runs. And the Mets need home runs. If there's one, everyone complained. So many people have complained about the Mets' offense not upgrading this season when it clearly has. You mentioned Omar Navarez. He's, you know, he's not anyone to write home to in terms of his bat, but he used to be like a bat first catcher. And so there's still pop there. And now he's going to be part of a righty lefty platoon at catcher. It's going to be very favorable for the Mets. So the catcher position, I think, just in general, is going to be better. And now there's going to be a more consistent guy who should be expected to hit 25 home runs in that third base spot and can move over to um, designate a hitter when needed or you know possibly left field. But I don't think they're really not going to want to do that. He's going to be at third base. And so I wasn't expecting to put him at number two on my list, but it definitely felt valid when I saw your list and you had him at number one. He's just going to be... He's going to be so important for the Mets, and and you know you're going to start seeing his jersey in the Mets stores by you know by late April, by May, because he's going to be that high demand. Because I've he's already been really great. Like Ronald Mariso has had the louder spring with the bigger home runs and just being like a bigger dude. But Britt Beatty is still actually a pretty big dude. Just doesn't look as big as Mauricio, and he hasn't had the loud performances. But he gets on base constantly he's just a he's just a professional hitter he just gets on base he has great at bats and and he's he's essential for for the Mets going forward absolutely Alex I had a really fun time doing this for the sake of brevity let's save the remembering dudes for next week but I had a great time doing this these lists with you I think this is a great idea if you guys are listening tell us who you think your top 10 guys are that are important to the Mets success in 2023 and uh, Alex, thank you, buddy. I hope you have a great week. Oh, Rob, you too. You have a wonderful week. We'll see you guys next week. Let's go Mets. Let's go Mets.